White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows says the United States cannot control the COVID pandemic. Gavin Newsom rolls out insane new Thanksgiving restrictions in California. And the left tries to manipulate social media into censoring conservatives. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Your online activity shouldn't be public. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get into everything news-related in just one moment. But first, we are approaching Black Friday, and don't you wish that everyday shopping was like Black Friday? Well, good news. When it comes to your cell phone bill, it basically is, because all you have to do is switch over to Pure Talk USA. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, if you're with them, you're overpaying pure and simple. Pure Talk can easily save you over $400 per year. Listen, here's what you need. Unlimited talk, text, and two gigs of data for just 20 bucks a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. See, here's the thing. Those big cellular companies, they're charging you for unlimited data. You don't need unlimited data in all likelihood. Instead, what you need is like two gigs of data. And and again, if you go over a little bit, it's not that big a deal. Switching to Pure Talk, it's the easiest decision you will make today. You can keep your phone and your number or get great deals on the latest iPhones and Android. Grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say my name, Ben Shapiro. When you do, you save 50% off your first month. Dial pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. No reason for you to spend too much on your cell phone bill. Instead, head on over and dial pound 250 and say Ben Shapiro to get started with Pure Talk USA. You'll save 50% off your first month and hundreds more over the course of the ensuing months to come. Alrighty, so... It's now past the debate. We are in the home stretch here. We have eight days until the election. And right now, the polling for President Trump remains not great nationally, and it remains fairly competitive in a lot of the swing states. So basically, this election comes down to seven or eight states. It comes down to Arizona, North Carolina, Florida, all of which Trump must win. And then it also comes down to Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, maybe Iowa, right? Trump needs to win Iowa, and he needs to win at least one of those others. So Trump has a bit of a tall task in front of him right now. The polls show in the Real Clear Politics national average, Joe Biden up by about eight points. The race seems to be extremely stable. Florida, Biden and Trump are running essentially dead even. According to a couple of new polls, Trump and Biden are running very close in Arizona. They're running very close in North Carolina. When you get into the upper Midwest, once you start getting into that so-called blue wall that Hillary Clinton had breached by Trump in a major way in 2016, then the gaps start to look a little bit larger. Wisconsin is starting to come down in terms of Joe Biden's lead. So if you look at the polls in Wisconsin, Biden right now is up approximately 4.6 in the the real clear politics polling average. He was up closer 8 to 10. The latest poll from Fox News has Biden up about 5, 49 to 44 in Wisconsin. That one was taken at the end of last week. If you look at Michigan, Michigan is the one that looks most out of reach. That one is close to 8 points. And if you look at Pennsylvania, Joe Biden has about a five-point lead in Pennsylvania. So Trump needs to win one of those three states. Now, the good news for Trump is that in Pennsylvania, there are a couple of polls that have him within three. So the last three polls in Pennsylvania have Biden up two, three, and five, respectively. So this is still a close election in the swing states, even if it is not particularly close nationally. And that means that as we approach the election, Democrats are trotting out their final appeal. Their final appeal is COVID. And it always was COVID because it turns out that President Trump's record up till the point that COVID hit, was really, really good. And put aside his rhetoric, which made a lot of people uncomfortable right, left, and center. Put aside the tweets, put aside the silly statements. When it came to, can we deal with the silly statements, most Americans were willing to treat the presidency like a plumber. What your plumber says doesn't matter. The question is, can he fix your toilet? Well, as of February, early March, people were like, okay, well, so my my plumber, kind of crude, sometimes shows his butt crack, but at least he fixed my toilet, right? My toilet's running great. Right now, I got, you know, I had a clog in the shower. He came in, he unclogged the shower and everything's hunky-dory. Sure, I wouldn't want him babysitting my kids per se. His hygiene may not be the best, but the bottom line is that everything is now running in a way that it was not running before, right? That was, I think, the generalized take on Trump up till about February. Then COVID hits and things stop running. And not only do things stop running, then all of the crudities and the oddities seem to make a difference to the American people because the American people suddenly want from their president something more than making things run on time. They want the president to be a comforter in chief, as Joe Biden likes to call himself. They want the president to be somebody who's going to empathize with them and show feelings and and all this sort of stuff, which is not Trump's mainstay. Now, that in and of itself would not be a killer app when it comes to Trump, because Trump is Trump, and we all know that Trump is Trump. The killer app when it comes to Trump, and Democrats know this, is that they have to promulgate an extraordinary lie. And the lie is that Trump is responsible for everybody who died from COVID. 
that the Trump administration botched this in a way no other country did. This is the great lie. And they keep putting it out there over and over and over. A couple of weeks ago, I cut a video about President Trump in which I said I was going to vote for him in 2020, even though I didn't vote for him in 2016. I explained all the reasons why. And in the video, I mentioned COVID only to the extent that I said that I was impressed that Trump had gotten the resources where they needed to be, and also that Trump had not used the power at hand in order to centralize more power in the federal government. He had allowed localism to rule. He allowed Ron DeSantis to be Ron DeSantis. He allowed Andrew Cuomo, for better or worse, to be Andrew Cuomo. The bottom line is we live in a federalist country. We live in a country where rule is supposed to be chiefly done at the local level and not at the very top level. And Trump had, I think, wisely and actually bravely refused to grab control from the top. Now, folks on the left saw that as a flaw because they love top-down control. Top-down control is their favorite thing in terms of what government can do. And this was the greatest excuse for top-down control in the history of the nation. So at the same time, they were calling Trump a vicious fascist. They were also calling for Trump to take control of virtually every production facility that he could get his hands on via the National Defense Act, the National Defense Authorization Act. So, you know, all of that Trump refused to do. And I said that was a good thing. So I started getting calls from members of the media saying, why didn't you talk about Trump's record on COVID more in that particular video? Why weren't you talking so much about Trump's record on COVID? And I said, because I don't think that any single politician anywhere on planet Earth has a good handle on COVID. I don't think that that the leader of New Zealand has a great handle on COVID. I think that she lives on an island with more sheep than people. I, I do not think that the leaders of Western Europe have a good handle on this thing because literally not one of those nations has not experienced a spike. And we are now watching a spike in places that heretofore had not seen one places like Germany. We're seeing a second spike in places like Italy. Italy had done heavy lockdowns. And by the way, in early October, mandatory masking outside. And they are still seeing a massive spike. It turns out that when it comes to a novel coronavirus, there is not a fantastic way to handle a novel coronavirus that is heavily seeded. If you can get a hold of it before it's heavily seeded, that's one thing. But the fact is this thing was widely seeded in the United States as of February, as studies are now showing it may have been in the United States as early as early January. And it started to race across the country incredibly fast. And it didn't just start to race across America. It started to race across every Western European and Northern European country. And then the numbers across Europe right now are much worse than the numbers in the United States in terms of the the number of daily infections. You can see the spike. The spike is enormous in Europe right now. Is that Trump's fault? The answer, of course, is no. And what I kept pointing out is that Democrats had no different policy. The only policy the Democrats have brought to bear is lockdown policy. Lockdown policy is not sustainable. At a certain point, you have to let up the lockdown so that people can live their lives. And when that happens, there will be spread. And the only thing that you can do is mitigation. The only thing that you can do is try to protect the vulnerable and protect the elderly, which means social distancing and mask wearing. And that's pretty much it. And if you are elderly and if you feel you have an underlying condition, you need to stay home as much as humanly possible. That's all you can do. There are no no solutions here. There are some therapeutics that are better than they were a few months ago. We know how to treat this thing better in hospitals, a lot better in hospitals than we did back in March. The death rates on COVID are down about 80% in hospitals, and they have been for several months here, which is why you're seeing this massive spike in cases, but not this massive spike in deaths. In the United States, you have this big spike in cases. The number of daily deaths remains around 1,000 a day, which is horrible and which is tragic, but I'm not sure that it's supremely avoidable given the fact that we do not have a vaccine for this thing, nor do we have a therapeutic that radically reduces the mortality rate of the disease thus far. But that's not just true of the United States. That's true in Europe as well. In other words, what Democrats and the media have been trying to do is create a point of differentiation with regard to Trump's performance that does not exist. There is no Democratic plan to stop COVID. There is not. There is no Democratic plan that makes COVID less deadly. There isn't. There is no Democratic plan to prevent the spread of COVID utterly. And if you think that full lockdown is going to spread the, stop the, the spread of COVID utterly, then what is your plan for shutting down the entire American economy for another year, for another year, particularly since COVID is not threatening to people who are under the age of 20. It is less threatening than the flu for people who are under the age of 20. And for people who are under the age of 50, it is marginally more threatening than the flu. When I say it's marginally more threatening, I mean it might be twice as deadly as the flu, but the flu is not particularly deadly for people who are under the age of 50. So one of the things people need to understand is base rates. Okay, if one out of 1,000 people die of the flu and two out of 1,000 people die of COVID, the base rate is still really low, right? That's still one in 500 people dying of COVID, but it is now twice as deadly as the flu. So it all depends on how you tend to think about these issues. If you say, I'm willing to undergo my life, I'm willing to, I'm 36, right? I'm not in the under 20 crew, which means the COVID is more deadly for me than the flu. Am I willing to hide in my house for the next year? Am I willing to never go out again 
Am I willing to not go shopping? Am I not willing to go to a ball game? Am I not willing to go to a theater? Am I not willing to go to a restaurant? Am I not willing to do any of those things for a year on the chance that this thing has a two in 1,000 shot of killing me as opposed to a one in 1,000 shot of the flu killing me if I get it in the first place? And the answer, I think, for most people is no, which is why when Trump said at the debate that 99.9% of young people who get this live, I think that's the first that a lot of people are hearing of that. The media have steadfastly refused to talk about the actual infection fatality rates on this disease because they recognize that if they do, then people might, might not be up for the kind of societal shutdowns that Democrats are apparently calling for. Okay, but here's the bottom line. There is no solution being presented by the Democrats, but in order for Trump to lose, they have to pretend like the solution is right here, it's right there, and Trump refuses to pick that apple off the tree. For some odd reason, Trump's a meanie, Trump's a bastard, and Trump wants you to die. Right, that is the final pitch for Democrats. This has actually been their pitch throughout COVID. Trump is not only incompetent and his incompetence has not only ruined lives, he's malevolent. Republicans are malevolent. And they are and, and if Democrats are elected, they will have a plan. You hear this from Biden and Harris all the time. We have a plan. They don't have a plan. They don't. Okay, the plan they have presented thus far is exactly the Trump plan. What if we like develop a vaccine? Right, Trump's doing that. What if we ensure that PPE was delivered to hospitals, personal protective equipment? Trump's done that. Well, you know, what, what if we urge social distancing and mask wearing? Okay, well, every state in the union is doing that. And regardless of what Trump says, all of his public health officials are saying that as well, including the much maligned Dr. Scott Atlas, who came on the program last week and did exactly that. It's not that Democrats have a different plan than Republicans. It's that whoever was president of the United States because the president is seen in America for some bizarre, stupid reason as a godlike figure capable of righting all wrongs, Whoever is president is going to reap the whirlwind of a very bad thing happening. And Democrats are simply going to lie to you that the president wants those bad things to happen in the first place. Okay, all this came to a head over the course of the weekend because the White House chief of staff went on national television and he was talking about the pandemic. And he said that we are not going to control the pandemic. We're going to focus on mitigation. And this apparently is a world shattering statement that we're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to focus on mitigation. Okay, let me make this absolutely 100% clear. Nobody is going to control the pandemic. The only way to control the pandemic is to have a very, very low level of seating in your society as happened in East Asia, and then to have massive testing regimens at that time, massive masking and mandatory quarantine. Those are the only ways that you're going to get that under control. And that would be if you had a 0% seating, right? If the seating were unbelievably low. Right now in the United States, we are experiencing, as of yesterday, 60, 70,000 new cases a day, a day. Okay, there is no way to get that. And community spread, massive community spread across the country. There is no way for us to, quote unquote, stop the spread. That is not going to happen. Okay, the only way that the spread is going to stop is when it burns itself through, when a lot of people have had it, because other, or a vaccine is developed. That's it. There is no third way. You can slow the spread by social distancing and wearing masks. You can prevent that spread unintentionally to people who are elderly by shielding and protecting the elderly. But nobody, not Democrats, not Republicans, nobody is stopping the spread. And if you don't believe me, ask Europe where the thing is spreading like wildfire. Anyway, here is Mark Meadows saying something perfectly obvious. And then the media using this as an excuse to say, well, if it were us, we'd stop the spread. Really? Explain. Seriously, explain. I want to hear. How are you going to stop the spread? How are you going to do it? Italy had a mandatory mask mandate outdoors as of early October. Italy's getting walloped right now. Tell me how you're going to do it. Tell me, epidemiologists at CNN, how you're going to do it. Anyway, here was Mark Meadows saying a bad, bad thing when he mentioned the absolute baseline fact that in a country of 330 million people with tens of thousands of cases of a virus spreading a day, and this thing is three times as spreadable as the flu, you're not simply going to be able to stop the spread. That is perfectly 100% obvious. Okay, anyway, here's Mark Meadows saying a, a perfectly obvious thing, and then we'll see the media using that as an excuse to suggest that Trump wants people to die. Here's what we have to do. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why are we going to get control the because, pandemic? Be because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why not make efforts to contain it? Well, we are making efforts to contain it. By and, running and all over the country, not wearing a mask? Jake, that's what the vice president is doing. We can get doing. into the back, back and forth. Let, let me just say this is what we need to do is make sure that we have the proper mitigation factors, whether it's therapies or vaccines or treatments, to make sure that people don't die from this. Okay, Meadows happens to be exactly right about this, and Jake, who I like, but Jake is absolutely wrong about this. This idea that you're going to quote-unquote contain the virus. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Okay, I'm just going to read you some stats from Italy in one second, and um, let's just say Italy's been locked down. It ain't working. We'll get to that in just one second. First, 
It is Halloween this month. Policy Genius would like to mark the occasion by making something less scary for you, life insurance. Shopping for life insurance can seem like a daunting task, but Policy Genius makes it easy. They combine a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and money. Right now, you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade, the savings really do start to add up. Here's how it works. First, you head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need. You can compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. The best part, they work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, which is a must-have if you're a responsible human being, head on over to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice and very, very important to get it right. Okay, so Mark Meadows says something absolutely 100% obvious, which is that we are not going to get this under control. This is a very, very large country with high levels of community spread. And Tapper is like, well, why can't we get it under control? I don't know. Why can't Italy get it under control? Italy had, as of October 25th, 21,273 diagnosed cases of COVID in Italy. Okay, the population of Italy, not close to the population of the United States. The population of Italy is 60 million. The population of the United States is 330 million. Okay, so on a per capita basis, they have a higher rate of transmission than the United States. Italy is locked down. Italy was not open. Italy had, had full-on mask ma- Again, I, I keep repeating this because people apparently do not want to understand this. And the fact is, once this thing was widely seeded, it was going to spread. End of story. And the only thing you can do, and really where you should be putting your focus, is where you can save lives. Of course, of course. But this is the lie, and the lie is going to be promulgated by the media, that this is surrender. So Brian Stelter, a reliable source, he says that's the sound of surrender. That if you say that you're not going to control the virus, that you're going to have to learn to live with it, they're going to shield the elderly, and that, guess what? Reality is that nobody's been able to control it. Then apparently, you're you're giving up. That's called giving up. I'm sorry, this is anti-scientific garbage. It is anti-evidentiary, anti-scientific nonsense. And it is deliberately blind. It's deliberately blind. It's funny, when I was talking to those media members about Trump's COVID handling versus Democrats' COVID handling, I would say to them, so what would Democrats have done differently? And I say, Trump, they would have talked about masks more. I say, okay, well, there's... Virtually no masking in Northern Europe. There's a lot of masking in Southern Europe. Both have been walloped. So you're going to have to explain to me how talking about masking more really would have changed the trajectory of this thing, especially given the fact that Democrats were openly saying for months that if you were protesting George Floyd's death, it was totally fine to go out there and mack on people in the middle of a protest of a million. I didn't see much blowback when there were huge rallies for the LA Lakers winning the NBA championship directly outside of Staples Center with no masking. Where was the massive blowback? Hmm, it was gone. Weird. Hey, in other words, the chances that that you were going to stop the spread through universal masking because the Democrats were telling you to? Absolutely not. Okay, that, that's not true. Okay, also, I mean, again, none of this is anti-mask. I've been saying throughout this show and for months that if you're in close quarters with people, you should be wearing a mask. And of course, there's a difference between the kind of masks you wear. Cloth masks are not nearly as useful as surgical masks, which are not nearly as useful as N95s or KN95s. Okay, but... The, the notion that this thing was eminently containable except for Trump is a lie. And members of the media, it's, in, it's an article of religious faith now because if you ask them the question, they literally cannot tell you what Democrats would do differently. They can't because there's nothing Democrats would do differently. But that is the article of faith and every Democrat at CNN is going to repeat it. Here's Brian Stelter repeating it. That is the sound of capitulation by the federal government. That is the sound of surrender. Trump, meanwhile, sounds bored with this leadership challenge. Clearly, he doesn't want the top story to be about sick and dying Americans struggling with a virus that's out of control, in part due to his government's failures. Obviously, he wants us talking about Hunter Biden or fake news or how mean 60 Minutes is to him. And his base agrees, but he is out of touch with where the rest of the country is. Okay, you are putting the rest of the country in a position to believe wrongly that Trump is in a position to snap his fingers and make this thing stop. That is not correct. And if, by the way, the Democrats and the media, if Biden is elected, immediately snap their fingers and then all of a sudden we're stopping, we're not going to talk about COVID anymore. It just shows what damned liars they were. Because guess what? COVID's still going to be out there. It is. By the way, Germany, right? Germany was a model of how to stop the spread. Germany had, as of October 23rd, almost 14,000 diagnosed cases in Germany. So this thing is spreading everywhere. 
But again, this is this is the left wing nonsense. Michael Moore said that Donald Trump is killing off his own voters. Any other president would have seized the coronavirus, taken the reins and tried to have been the hero. Especially when this was killing his largest demographic in 2016 was over 65. This could get to 2,500 deaths a day. Why Trump would be killing off his voters, uh, historians and political scientists are gonna have to figure this out uh, in the future. Trump is not killing off his voters. Chris Chris Cuomo's brother, Andrew Cuomo, killed off the elderly voters in New York. Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan refusing to protect the nursing homes. Again, this is the it is it is a pretty morally disgusting narrative that Trump is responsible for all of these deaths. The good news is that people at Lincoln Project have no problem pushing morally disgusting narratives. So they actually put up Times Square billboards, billboards in Times Square about the evils of Ivanka and Jared. Not even about Trump himself, right? But Ivanka and Jared. So they have these giant billboards. One is a picture of Ivanka Trump smiling, and then it says 33,418 plus New Yorkers. 224,000 plus Americans. And she's smiling like she's happy about it. Like she, because that, that's Ivanka, right? Ivanka is so evil that she wants Americans to die. That's what she wants. Ivanka desperately wants Americans to die. Now, weird, because what I noticed is that the governor of New York is a Democrat. The mayor of New York City is a Democrat. The entire city council in New York is Democratic. That, that's what I noticed. But apparently it's Ivanka Trump's fault. And not only is it her fault, she revels in it. That was next to a giant smiling picture of Jared Kushner saying New Yorkers are going to suffer and that's their problem. Okay, that was Vanity Fair reporting unconfirmed, denied by Kushner. Doesn't matter, the Lincoln Project runs with it because, the, I mean, have, have greater grifters been created than the folks at the Lincoln Project? The definition of a grifter, by the way, is somebody who knows that what they're saying is false but continues to say it for the money. They know what they're saying is false. They continue to say it for the money to try and con people into giving them cash. Okay, so all of this is now being forwarded. This, this, this giant narrative that we are seconds away from a Democrat taking office and getting control of this thing. Iron fist, take control. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that sometimes you need your employees to really do their best. Let's say that you left LA weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And let's say that you had somebody who's in charge of your security in LA. And they were like, you know what? I'm coming to where you're going to make sure that you are safe and secure. And three weeks later, you're sitting there and you're like, where is Chad? And then all of a sudden, Chad shows up. He's all smiley, he's all happy. You're like, dude, where were you for three weeks? Like, well, you know, I had to I had to truck my stuff across the country and I stayed at some motels. Well, then you might think about replacing Chad and you'd head on over to ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter.com will help you find the world's best employees. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. First, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent to over 100 job sites with just one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. It is no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. You might be stressed out, but you can solve that stress by getting better employees. Check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Try it out for free. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Okay, so the narrative that is now being pushed by Democrats and by the media, again, is that as soon as Joe Biden takes place, everything will be all better. So Joe Biden was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and Joe Biden was asked about Scott Atlas, and he basically said Scott Atlas, who is one of the doctors from Stanford, Hoover Institution, who is telling Trump, you know, sort of his strategy, that Atlas is is not qualified for any of this. Nobody agrees with Scott Atlas. Now, there's a word that I've been using, uh, ultra-crepidarianism. Okay, that is the that is the the ability to speak outside one's purview, right? The, the the idea here from Joe Biden is that Scott Atlas is not an epidemiologist, so he shouldn't be speaking about this stuff. Okay, there's only one problem with that, which is that Joe Biden is also not an epidemiologist. So you have to choose which doctor you wish to listen to. And it turns out that there are major epidemiologists who have suggested exactly the same thing as Dr. Scott Atlas. They are the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which has been actively downgraded by Google and by YouTube and by Facebook. The Great Barrington Declaration advocates for policy I've been advocating for months, which is protect the elderly. Make sure that the elderly and the infirm are protected. Tell them to stay home. Get all of them M95 masks. Make sure they have what they need. And then if you're 20 years old, then you getting the virus should not only not be treated as the end of the world, it should be treated as probably a good thing in the long run for herd immunity because herd immunity will be developed one way or another. 
the great one of the great lies the media tell about this sort of stuff is that if you quote unquote advocate for herd immunity, you are advocating for uncontrolled spread. That is not what herd immunity means. Herd immunity is a product. Herd immunity is something that happens. Herd immunity happens when a certain percentage of a population gets a disease or a vaccine and then are not capable of passing it along. So the reproduction rate drops below one. That's what herd immunity is. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. It's going to happen with a vaccine or it's going to happen not with a vaccine. The only question is how you pursue herd immunity. And so what the great Barrington Declaration guys say, and this includes Martin Kohldorf and Jay Bhattacharya, who's been on the program. One of them is from Stanford. Bhattacharya is from Stanford. Uh, Kohldorf is a biostatistician from Harvard who studies epidemiology. They, they have said, and they've joined with Sunetra Gupta, who's a professor of epidemiology at, uh, at Oxford, right? These are all well-qualified people. They've all said that if you wish to pursue herd immunity at the fastest possible clip, then what you need to do is allow 18 and 20-year-olds to get this thing. And then you need to have them not come into contact with older people. And then they can't pass it along to older people, right? Which is something that I've been talking about since literally, I believe, April, when I started talking about so-called controlled avalanche strategy, which was a strategy that had been pushed by a couple of scientists over at Hebrew University. Okay, that's an actual strategy. But Democrats don't have a strategy. The Democratic strategy is to suggest that if you even mention herd immunity, you are bad that the only solution to this thing is en- is endless lockdown. So here is Joe Biden ripping on Scott Atlas and suggesting by proxy that he is going to uh, push for endless lockdowns. Dr. Scott Atlas, and he is advocating young people go about their business and older people sequester. Nobody thinks it makes any sense. Nobody. No serious doc around the world. So Joe Biden says that nobody listens to Scott Atlas. Nobody is saying that it makes any sense to to allow younger people to get it while protecting the older uh, elderly. Okay, guess what? It's going to happen whether Joe Biden likes it or not. It's going to happen whether Joe Biden likes it or not. I was driving around yesterday, and one thing that I noticed, right? I'm in South Florida, and one thing that I noticed, I was driving around with my kids, and we drove past a, a, a gym, okay? And the gym was packed, okay? It was packed with younger people. It was all younger people. None of them were wearing masks. Is that a good idea? If, if any of those people are going to come into contact with older people or vulnerable people, it's not a good idea. But are they going to do it anyway? Absolutely. Hey, you think all the massive house parties that are taking place in Chicago or Miami or L.A., you think those are stopping right now? There's a reason why the death rates are down. There are a couple reasons. One, hospitalizations are going much better. But two, young people are not nearly as apt to be hospitalized for COVID as people who are elderly. And also, young people are not going to sacrifice entire years of their lives and not do anything for a year because Joe Biden tells them to. It's not going to happen. It's not happening in Europe. It's not happening in the United States. It's not happening anywhere. So either you can set up a series of restrictions that are doable and you can try to set up some sort of strategy for reaching herd immunity like the Great Barrington folks suggest, or you can pretend that everybody is going to mask up at 100% rates. They're all going to know how to handle their masks. They're all going to have high quality masks. They're not just going to be wearing cloth masks that don't really do a whole hell of a lot to, uh, to protect you from the transmission of the disease. They're only, apparently, according to Scott Gottlieb, okay, it's not me, this is former FDA commissioner Scott Gottlieb, cloth masks are only about 10% effective at preventing you from getting this thing. You know, the surgical masks are something like 60% effective, according to Scott Atlas, I mean, according to uh, Scott Gottlieb, and, uh, and N95s are 90 to 95% effective in preventing you from getting this thing. This is according, not to me, to Scott Gottlieb. Do you think people know that? Do you think people are paying attention to it? Huge majority of the people I see out there are wearing cloth face masks or neck gaiters. There's some studies suggesting neck gators are counterproductive. Okay, but again, there's this myth. The myth is Trump blew it. Democrats will get this under control. So you end up with Anthony Fauci suggesting over the weekend, he's becoming more and more openly political, right? He's speaking out openly, obviously. He's in the media. He's speaking out uh, to, uh, to CNN. And he said, well, maybe it's time for a federal mask mandate. Yes, I'm sure, Anthony, that'll make all the difference. Doctor, I'm, I'm sure, Dr. Fauci, that now, after in March, you said nobody needed a mask. I'm sure that now that you say everybody needs a mask, not only do they need a mask, we're going we're gonna to punish them, presumably, at the federal level. We're going to make it a federal crime not to wear a mask. Where? In a public place? In private with your family? I'm sure this will be highly, highly effective. That'll finally get things under control. They have mask mandates across your... I'm sure that's going to get it under control, Dr. Fauci. Sure, sure. If everyone agrees that this is something that's important and they mandate it and everybody pulls together and say... You know, we're going to mandate it, but let's just do it. I think that would be a great idea to have everybody do it uniformly. One of the issues, though, you, I, I get the argument, say, well, if you mandate a mask, then you're going to have to enforce it, and that'll create more of a problem. Well, if people are not wearing masks, then maybe we should be mandating it. Oh, there we go. So finally, we reached the, the end point here. Maybe we should have the federal government 
fine or jail people if they refuse to wear their masks in particular scenarios. And here's the question. Where are you going to tell them to wear the mask? Seriously, on a scientific level, we're now realizing that in certain countries, 80% of all transmission is being done in the home. You're going to mandate that people wear masks in the home? Well, good news. Democrats are here for you. Gavin Newsom now says that you should wear a mask at home. According to Newsweek, ahead of Thanksgiving, California Governor Gavin Newsom and the California Department of Public Health released new safety guidelines for all private gatherings amid the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The new rules come with strict restrictions that aim to help reduce the risk of spreading infection. Gatherings are defined as social situations that bring together people from different households at the same time in a single space or place. When people from different households mix, this increases the risk of transmission of COVID-19. All gatherings must include no more than three households, including hosts and guests, and must be held outdoors, lasting for two hours or less. I have a question. Why for two hours or less? We've been told you can transmit this thing in 15 minutes. So why not 15 minutes or less? Seriously, what is the scientific evidence that two hours or less is going to be the great barrier here? And also, I understand you want it outdoors because it has better ventilation, but they are now suggesting that if it's like me and my parents, I guess that that is two households in the state of California. So if it's me, my parents, and my sister, then that is three households in the state of California. I'm sure this is going to be... Stu- and and what, what's going to happen? The cops are going to come knock on your door and arrest you or fine you if you get together with family members on Thanksgiving? That's Yeah, I'm sure this is going to be wildly effective. I'm sure... You, you know what? You're right. We need to elect Joe Biden so that we can have the federal officers come to your house if you are in a house with you and your parents and your sister's family, we need the feds at your door. If this sounds like a dystopian sci-fi novel, it's because we've basically reached that point, according to what is now being requested. All in order to prevent the transmission of a disease that is not extraordinarily deadly for people under the age of 70, but is extraordinarily deadly for people who are above the age of 70. Okay, which means that, last I checked, we are all rational and sentient human beings. By the way, when I say extraordinarily deadly, I'm comparing it to like extraordinarily deadly diseases like Ebola or the bubonic plague, because the flu is not extraordinarily deadly. I'm not comparing it to the flu. Before, you know, social media say I'm, compa- I'm not comparing it to the flu. I've been very precise in my language here. This is about three times as deadly as the flu for people who are between the ages of approximately 40 and 70. It's about twice as deadly as the flu for people between the ages of 20 and 40. And the reality is not that many people die of the flu every year on a population-adjusted basis. So is it deadly? Yes. Is it highly, highly, highly deadly in the mold of like, Mirrors? No, it is not. Okay, but we are now going to have, what, federal officers banging on your door if you get together with some people over Thanksgiving? And California is going to do this. The new rules state, those at a gathering may remove their face coverings briefly to eat or drink as long as they stay six feet away from everyone outside their own household and put their face covering back on as soon as they are done with the activity. The latest guidelines add face coverings can also be removed to meet urgent medical needs. The existing face coverings also set out by the CDPH also apply. They state everyone must wear face coverings in high-risk situations, including in outdoor public spaces when maintaining a six-feet distance outside from those outside your household is not feasible. Also, no singing, no chanting, no shouting. And uh, you should participate in quiet activity. Musicians are allowed at gatherings, but they must be from one of the three households. Also, no playing of wind instruments. So uh, yeah, th- this is all going to go great. I'm sure everybody is going to abide by this in California. I'm sure that every single person is going to abide by this in California. By the way, the state with the most confirmed COVID cases in the United States, California with 855,000 confirmed COVID cases despite massive lockdown restrictions. And all of this COVID talk is predicated on the notion that if you just flip a switch, it goes away and that switch is Trump. That is a pagan, silly notion. It is not true. It is simply not the case. Okay, in a second, we're going to get to Joe Biden and uh, the Biden campaign. Because he continues to surge in the polls, even though he, uh, again, has not done nearly any media. He's called another lid today, I believe. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you hear these ugly stories all the time. Right, A good guy uses a gun to protect his family from criminals, and then he gets arrested. Well, sometimes the legal system isn't fair, and responsibly armed Americans could become political targets, which is why you really need to know what you can do legally and what you can't do legally. And also, you better have some legal defense at your disposal if, God forbid, you have to fire your gun in order to protect yourself. Here's how you can take a simple, powerful journey to firearms and self-defense confidence. It's called the Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the United States Concealed Carry Association. That's the USCCA. It is 100% free. 
You'll learn how to detect, detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, the safest and most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, how to responsibly own and store a gun, even if you got little kids, and a whole lot more. It is 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version so you can listen whenever you want. Just text Ben to 87222. Again, text Ben to 87222. You'll get instant access and a chance to win 1000 bucks so you can buy a gun to protect your family. Text Ben to 87. 87- 222. Right now, text Ben to 87222 to get instant access to that Family Defense Guide Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the USCCA. Good folks. Go check them out right now. Okay, we're going to get to more on the presidential race in just one second. First, 2020 has been an insane year. And if it feels like things are coming apart, it's because they really are. We have massive philosophical differences that are now coming to a head in the United States. Joe Biden's been trying to gloss over them with his magical ads that are basically just stock footage of a farm and then stock footage of a baseball game and then him being like, America. Okay, but here's the reality. The Democratic Party and many in the Democratic Party now represent a viewpoint that is at odds with the philosophic foundings of the United States. They do not believe in the negative rights guaranteed by the Declaration and the Constitution of the United States. They believe that American history is a roll call of evil. They believe that American culture, a culture of entrepreneurialism and tolerance for others' rights, is wrongheaded because it allows for the success of the evil. I write about all of this in my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, which isn't just a takedown of a leftist view of America that America is bad. It is also a reminder of what makes America so very good, why the Declaration's ideals are correct, why the Constitution is properly structured, why it is that the culture of the United States forwards tolerance and entrepreneurialism, and why American history is a story of good, punctuated by great periods of evil, but of America striving to fulfill her founding principles. Go pick up a copy right now, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It is going to be a primer for, if God forbid Joe Biden wins the election, it is going to be a primer for how to fight back. Go check it out right now, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Also, in case you missed it yesterday, we had on another great episode of the Sunday special. This time it was Jared Kushner, apparently who's responsible for all COVID deaths in New York, according to the Lincoln Project. He is senior advisor to President Trump. Jared joined the show to share his experience with the president and to remind the American people of the administration's accomplishments that will continue for four more years if Donald Trump is reelected. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Head on over to dailywire.com right now. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, as you know, the presidential election is almost here. We have an amazing day of programming planned for you. Our live stream starts on election day, Tuesday, November 3rd, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. We're going to go until the cows come home. Featuring special guests, live interviews, multiple all-access live sessions, leading up to a very special episode of Backstage, where we will be covering the results with you in real time. Even better, join Daily Wire right now. Get 25% with code ELECTION, 25% off. You can watch all of our election coverage live on our Apple TV or Roku app. Members get our articles ad-free access to all of our live broadcasts and show library. The full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show exclusive Reader's Pass content available only to Daily Wire members. If you're considering an all-access membership, you get to join us on all-access live every night for online and live stream discussions. You also get not one, but two leftist tiers tumblers with your membership, as well as early, sometimes exclusive access to those magical new Daily Wire products. So... Watch the election with us at dailywire.com. Get 25% off your Daily Wire membership with code ELECTION when you sign up today. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. A quick final note on Democrats' COVID talk here. So over the weekend, five people in Mike Pence's office tested positive for COVID-19. And um, the basic idea from the media is that Mike Pence should take himself off the campaign trail, which is weird because you know who actually didn't do that was Kamala Harris. Right? So if you're on the other side, apparently, nobody cares if you do it. Right? Members of Kamala Harris's team got sick with COVID, and there was no repercussion. Nobody suggested, hey, wait a second, this thing seems like it's really, really transmissible. And even though people in the Biden-Harris team are wearing masks, it still seems like a lot of people are getting this sort of thing. Instead of being realistic about COVID, in other words, we have decided in our minds that we are going to do what every... Listen, it's understandable. It's an understandable human reaction to tragedy. When bad things happen, our first reaction as human beings is to try to spot the differentiating feature so that that tragedy will never happen to us. That's why when you hear that somebody died at a young age, the first thing you say is, what did they die of? And if they say that they died of cancer, the first thing you say is, well, did they smoke? Right? Did, they, did they have heart disease? Did it run in their family? In other words, you try to look for the reason why it's not going to hit you, why you are going to be immune to the virus. Right? When you watch a zombie apocalypse movie, the first thing you think is, oh, I'd be the guy who survived. Probably not. Okay, now the reality is that when it comes to COVID, we're doing the same thing, right? We're saying to ourselves, okay, well, if I wear the mask, then I'm definitely, I'm definitely not going to get this thing. Okay, here's the reality. You will lessen your chances. You may very well get the thing. Okay, if you stay away from other people, you lessen your chances of getting COVID. You may very well get the thing. And nothing is foolproof here. 
You can take cautious action. And I've ripped into Trump when I think he has not taken cautious action. I've been very much against these rallies. I've been very much against these open air events where people are not masked. I think they're a stupid idea. But that does not mean that the Democrats have any broad scale solution to this entire thing. But here's the thing. The COVID narrative allows everybody to escape having to talk to Joe Biden about issues regarding Joe Biden. You realize that Kamala Harris has not done a single press conference. Kamala Harris will be president of the United States if Joe Biden is elected. Joe Biden is on his last legs. It is perfectly obvious to anyone who watches him for any period of time that Joe Biden is on his last legs. Kamala Harris has not done a press conference, not one since she was nominated for the VP. Not one. If this were flip side, don't you think that perhaps the media might be asking questions about it? But here they are so willing to go along with whatever allows Joe Biden to be elected. The media are the real story of this election. At least they will be after the election. If Biden wins, the story here is not going to be that Biden ran a wonderful campaign. The story here is going to be twofold. That Trump blew it for himself because he couldn't shut his yap. And that the media are the worst things in American life. That the media are the overt partisan wing, communications wing of the Democratic Party. Because apparently they're just not going to cover stories now. In fact, it's bad to cover stories now. It's, it's amazing. Very few members of the media will ask anything about Hunter Biden or Joe Biden. So where do we stand on the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden stuff? Okay, so what we know from the emails and from the text is that Hunter and James, James is Joe's brother, were pursuing a business deal in China with a group called CEFC China. CEFC China initially said it was going to send 10 million bucks in early 2017 to a joint venture, including Hunter and, uh, and James. They focused on trading oil futures and securing the rights to overseas oil fields in strife-torn places like Chad, South Sudan, and Iraq. One early version of their business plan indicated that Hunter and James Biden and their American associates have forged alliances with the highest levels of government, banking, and enterprise. It's perfectly obvious to everybody, by the way, that the reason that Hunter and James were being included is because of their proximity to Joe, because Hunter and James have no qualifications otherwise. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Joe was in on the arrangement or that he was making money from the arrangement or that he was involved in the deal prior to when he left the vice presidency. He says he didn't know anything and he's never received any money. The deal itself ended up canceled. But there's no question that Joe looked the other way as members of his family trafficked in his name for years on end, which is indeed, it may not be criminal, but it's certainly corrupt. If you're a member of the government and members of your family are jet-setting around the earth, telling foreign leaders and telling foreign corrupt oligarchs that they have access to you and that you have purview over their, over their foreign policy, I mean, that's pretty corrupt stuff. In fact, even the New York Times is reporting now that the joint venture here was at least partially predicated on Joe Biden and Joe Biden's proximity to power. According to the New York Times, the documents show that the countries, Hunter Biden, James Biden, and their associates planned to target for deals overlapped with nations where Joe Biden had previously been involved as vice president. One 42-page plan includes a section specifically highlighting former Vice President Biden's role in facilitating increased commerce with Colombia, which is one of the targets of the joint venture, along with Luxembourg, Oman, and Romania. Again, Hunter Biden's role in that China deal was key in the relationship set up messaging the goodwill around the chairman, referring to Yi Jianming, the chairman of CEFC. We still don't have any answer from Joe Biden as to whether one text message that suggested that or one email that suggested that 10% was being held in escrow for the big guy, who the hell the big guy was. Okay, these are all open questions. They should be asked of Joe Biden, obviously, mainly because Biden has portrayed himself as clean as the driven snow. He has said that Hunter has never done anything corrupt, which of course is very, very silly. Now, if you're on... Fox News, then presumably you'll get a reporter or two who will ask the question. Chris Wallace asked Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, doesn't Biden owe a fuller account of his son's business dealings while he was VP? Whitmer, of course, has no answer. There is evidence. It may be that Biden didn't take money, but clearly uh, his brother, his son were involved in business dealings. There was talk about the Biden name. Uh, one, wasn't that inappropriate for that to be going on while he was vice president? It sure sounds like influence peddling. And doesn't he owe a fuller accounting? You know, Chris, I think that uh, Joe has sat for questions. He has answered these questions. The American people aren't going to be distracted. Oh, they're not going to be distracted. So he doesn't have to answer any of the questions. Weird. Okay, so Tom Cotton uh, was, um, was on with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin on CNBC. And Ross Sorkin was asking him, uh, about why he should report the story. He's saying, we can't corroborate any of the emails. And Cotton's like, okay, hold up a second. So now your standard for reporting is that you have to be able to corroborate the underlying evidence. Didn't you guys run for like years with the Russia crap and you didn't corroborate a single fact about it? You're talking about the tech companies censoring uh, such quote unquote news. 
uh, if, in fact, the tech companies had, quote unquote, liability like news operations do, you, you wouldn't want them to be reporting something that they couldn't corroborate. No. Do you mean like the Russian collusion hoax and the Steele dossier that you reported on for four years, Andrew? OK, yeah, that would be the end of that particular conversation. But again, the new standard for the media is if we can't corroborate it, we're not reporting it, which is not their standard. It's not even close to their standard because guess what's not corroborated? You know what you can't corroborate? Unnamed sources. No way to corroborate them. In fact, we know the sourcing on the Hunter Biden emails way better from the New York Post than nearly anything that's been reported in the mainstream media about Russia or collusion or Ukraine for years on end. Nonetheless, the standard for the media, it's new. It's a new standard. The media are overt partisans on behalf of Joe Biden. It is insane. NBC News reporter Ben Collins, he actually tweeted out, reminder for your uncle, the press can't cover Hunter's hard drive because we don't have access to it. This isn't a WikiLeaks thing. One guy has access to it. He wouldn't give it to us. And now he's in quasi hiding because he got caught in a hotel room with Borat's daughter, right? Talking about Rudy Giuliani not turning over the hard drive to NBC, for example. But weird, because uh, I don't remember you having any access to any of the underlying material in nearly any of the stories you've reported about Russiagate for literally years on end. So the standard is magically morphing. It is magically changing. My favorite line of the weekend actually came courtesy of Thomas Ridd, a professor of strategic studies at Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. He had a piece in the Washington Post. This is a direct quote. You ready? We must treat the Hunter Biden leaks as if they were a foreign intelligence operation, even if they probably aren't. Even if they probably aren't. So now we have to just ignore them and not report on them, even if they're legit, because we have to work under the assumption that anything said bad about Democrats must be Russian disinformation. All of which allows Joe Biden to simply treat reporters like garbage when he is asked about it. Here was Joe Biden over the weekend being asked about Hunter Biden and just cutting him dead. Questions of controversy continues to tell you about Hunter Biden, your son's. Uh, there is no controversy about my son. It's all a lie. It's a flat lie because the president has nothing else to run on. If you notice, and while American people are talking about what's happening to their families, he has no plan. In the debate, he has no plan. Everything from the Wall Street Journal, every other major the news outlet has said what he's saying is simply not true about my son. But it's, it's classic Trump. Classic Trump. Okay, except for the fact that um, actually the emails are real and the texts are real and people are asking legit questions about them. But the good news is he can just shout COVID and masks and everybody goes, oh, well, he knows the solution, guys. Everything will be better tomorrow if that evil malevolent force Donald Trump is out of office. Again, all of this also allows Joe Biden to escape from the fact that he is not with it. Okay, now, he can get, this is not to say he can't get through a sentence. He can get through a sentence. He can get through several sentences. He can't get through like a full paragraph without starting to lose it. Hey, okay, over the weekend, over and over and over, Joe Biden was just gaffing all over the place. Now, one of these gaffes would have killed any other candidate. Seriously. Any other candidate, Mitt Romney, you remember, what about your gaffes? People yell, yelling at Mitt Romney as though Mitt Romney were half as senile as Joe Biden appears to be on the verge of being. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when people took gaffes Seriously, so long as they were coming from Republicans. I mean, we still remember all of George W. Bush's gaffes, right? Edumacation. Remember that one? Edumacation. We still remember Dan Quayle misspelling potato, right? These were major gaffes. Joe Biden mixes up which office he is running for. He mixes up which state he is in. He mixes up the candidate he is running against. Over the weekend, he suggested he was running against George. I assume he means Bush, not George of the jungle. But guess what? Bush has been out of office since 2008. Here is Biden mistaking Trump for Bush. This is the most consequent, not because I'm running, but because who I'm running against. This is the most consequential election uh, in, a, in a long, long, long time. And the character of the country, in my view, is literally on the ballot. What kind of country we're going to be? Four more years of George, uh, George uh, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in a different world. That wasn't the only one. Then Joe Biden bragged about having the most expensive voter fraud organization in history. Again, these are these are gaffes that would any other candidate. These would all be headlines. But it's protect the precious time now. Right. We're in the final days of the election. Protect the precious, even if that precious is a uh, doddering coot who is not going to be in office for four years, let alone eight. Here is Joe Biden. We're in a situation where we have put together and you guys did, did it for our administration, the president Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud 
organization in the history of American politics. That's exciting. He's put together the most extensive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. You want to get those conspiracy theorists going, that would be the way that you do it. And again, the good news is that for Democrats, nobody is going to ever have to answer a tough question because they're Democrats. So Kamala Harris was on uh, 60 Minutes and she broke out that Joker laugh. I mean, the crazy Joker laugh a lot. So Kamala Harris has this really bad tell. If you're ever asked to play poker with Kamala Harris, do it. Because if you ask her if she's got a pair of jacks, she will just be like, <laughs> I mean, it's wild. It's like she is going to, it's like she has set up two separate crime scenes and then she has to direct Batman which one to go to. It's, it's crazy. So here was, here was Kamala Harris. She was asked about her perspective and she's asked whether she's a socialist or a progressive. And apparently this is just damned hilarious. I mean, absolutely hilarious. She breaks into a laugh. I mean, this is a laugh right here. I promised Joe that I will give him that perspective and always be honest with him. And is that a socialist or progressive perspective? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it is the perspective of, of a woman who grew up a, a, a black child in America, who was also a prosecutor who also has a mother who arrived here at the age of 19 from India, who also, you know, likes hip hop. <laughs> like, what do you want to know? Man, hilarious, hilarious. By the way, she was then asked a follow-up question. So you're the, most, um, you're the most liberal member of the United States Senate. And she lost it again. I mean, this bleep is freaking hilarious, right? I mean, it's like she's watching a Chris Farley movie over here. I mean, she, she's asked whether she is a, a liberal. And uh, it's a very easy question. Right, they ask, you're the most liberal member of the United States Senate. And she's like, <laughs> oh, that's just Mike Pence who says that. <laughs> and the reporter's like, well, no, actually, that's GovTrack. And she's like, <laughs> oh, well, the good news is that Democrats can always count on their friends. All they need is a little help from their friends. Speaking of which, okay, so social media over the over the past several weeks has become very open and obvious in their desire for Donald Trump to lose the election. Okay, it, corporations, social media, and this is all virtue signaling garbage. So what, what corporations have decided is they have decided that a huge number of Americans are buying products based on political preference. They've decided that it is better to go along with the woke than it is to simply stay silent because the woke demand, they demand answers right now. There is no luxury to stay silent. As we found out about Chris Pratt, the actor last week, if you stay silent, silence is complicit. And so you're mandated to say something. And people want this with corporations too. This is how you end up with the CEO of Expensify, which is a service that helps you basically do your expense reports. He sent an email to 10 million customers on Thursday demanding that they vote against Donald Trump and for Joe Biden. He sent out this, this giant email, which of course received plaudits from the media. Now imagine if the head of Walmart sent out an email to all of the Walmart employees and said, I need all of you to vote for Donald Trump because otherwise... Joe Biden is going to wreck our business and you're going to end up either fired or with a lower wage, right? Our business will go down and there'll be consequences to that. The media would lose it, lose it. In fact, the media did lose it when companies started sounding off about how Obamacare was going to damage their business, which it would. It was, how dare they? They hate Obama. That's what this is about. But everybody cheers like seals because the Expensify CEO put out this nasty email about how you need to vote for Joe Biden. Quote, I know you don't want to hear this from me. Yeah, you got that damned right. And I guarantee I don't want to say it but we are facing an unprecedented attack on the foundations of democracy itself. If you are a U.S. citizen, anything less than a vote for Biden is a vote against democracy. Weird, because you know what I heard about Joe Biden is that he wishes to uh, pack the Supreme Court, that he wishes to kill the filibuster, and he wishes to stack the Senate with his friends. So um, that seems like not super Democratic or super Republican, smaller Republican. David Barrett says, that's right. I'm saying a vote for Trump, a vote for a third-party candidate, or simply not voting at all, they're all the same. They're all the same. So if you choose not to vote for either, or if you choose not to vote because you find them that they both stink, they're both the same. You are now an enemy of democracy. You are, you are like the Germans who sat by and watched Hitler take power. They're all the same, and they all mean, quote, I care more about my favorite issue than democracy. I believe Trump winning is more important than democracy. I am comfortable standing aside and allowing democracy to be methodically dismantled in plain sight. If the polls are accurate, there's a roughly 50% chance you agree Trump needs to go. You know what to do. Show up on November 3rd and vote for Biden. And I love these. Uh, he then puts out this little Q&A. Okay, here's, here's some of the Q&A. You ready? Why do you care so much about democracy? I mean, this is like when somebody asks you in a job interview, what's your, what's your worst quality? You say, I'm too diligent. Why do you care so much about democracy? David asked David. 
I care so much about democracy because I'm just that kind of guy. Democracy is core to our business success in a variety of ways. Internally, we are a famously flat organization. Nobody reports to anybody else. And advancement is the result of meeting well-defined criteria as judged by the vote of those who have already advanced. We are, we are a democratic company. Really? Okay, so what if they vote you out? You gonna be happy with that? How's that gonna go for you, David? Are you the head of the company? He says, what gives you the right to tell me what to do? The First Amendment. To be clear, you don't need to listen. But the First Amendment exists to encourage people like you and me to find some way to talk about the issues that matter. The burden of democracy is that this is literally our job. So I'm asking all of us to take it seriously. And he says, Expensify depends on a functioning society and economy. As CEO of this business, it's my job to plot a course through any storm. And four more years of Trump will, lead, will damage our democracy to such an extent I'm obligated on behalf of shareholders to take any action I can to avoid it. He says he's, he's not sure democracy can survive a Trump presidency. Don't you think you're exaggerating? No, I truly wish I was. I wouldn't be sending this email if the election were just about normal issues, but it isn't. This election is a referendum on what limits, if any, we place on our elected officials to govern us in a fair and representative way. And then he talked about voter suppression. We're going to have more votes in this election than any election in American history, bar none. The early turnout is insanely high, and this idiot's talking about voter suppression still. Okay, like all of this, corporate America has decided to mobilize on behalf of the woke. And then social media has decided to mobilize on behalf of Democrats, and the media have pushed this along. Now, let's make no mistake. There is this feedback loop. It exists in the media, whereby members of the media, so-called journalists, act as activists. People like Kevin Roos at the New York Times, people like Kara Swisher at the New York Times, people like Jug Lagum, right? They all put out these reports about how social media, by being so tolerant toward right-wing views, has allowed Trump to win. What we need, what we need is Streitbeer Demokratie, right? Which is this policy in Germany that bans neo-Nazi parties. We need something like that, but for the right. We need to make sure that social media never allows right-wing views to be promulgated. And then when people on the right sound off about it, then we say, well, conservatives keep complaining about social media. Look how they're working the refs. Okay, guys, you've been working the refs for years. You've been threatening legislation against social media. I've been the one saying I'm against legislation with regard to social media. And you guys have been pressing for legislation and you've been pushing them, not subtly at all, to shut down the methods of distribution for outlets that are not mainstream quote-unquote outlets. If it's not the New York Times, CBS, or ABC, you want it done. You're angry about it. And when we sound off, when we say, hey, look at this. It looks like they are shadow banning us. It looks like they just banned the Twitter account of the New York Post for a week and a half. It looks as though you're suppressing our ability to distribute. By the way, we can tell. You think we can't tell our own traffic? We can tell when social media is downgrading us. It's happening this week in real time, in the run-up to the election. But if we complain about it, then we are told, oh, how dare they complain about social media? So CNN has a piece today. Say It says, a right-wing offensive is underway to discredit social media companies just days before the election. What began as complaints about anti-conservative censorship by social media companies has now evolved into outright allegations of election interference. Well, I mean, yes, because you literally said that you would not report any of the Hunter Biden allegations pending a fact check. You still have not ruled anything false in the New York Post stories, and Twitter has still banned the New York Post. Yes, that is election interference. It is overt. It is not covert. It is not subtle. But according to CNN, outside experts have found little evidence to support claims of widespread systematic political bias in Silicon Valley's technology. But the conservative allegations are an explosive charge and a dramatic escalation ahead of Election Day. OK, so this is hilarious. So now they're taking the perspective that Silicon Valley is not biased against conservatives. OK, but you're simultaneously arguing in places like CNN and The New York Times that Silicon Valley is biased in favor of conservatives. I can't tell you the number of pieces that have been written over the course of the last six months about how Daily Wire is bad and evil because we are highly trafficked on Facebook. Right? What you will see is people putting out these charts suggesting that our engagement at Daily Wire is really, really high on Facebook. Right, because we write good headlines. That's why. But apparently it's because social media is biased in favor of Daily Wire. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what's happening. I'm sure that's exactly what's happening. There's only one problem. It is a lie. Okay, so I want to go through this for a second because it's actually important. By using this lie, by promulgating this lie, the media have created this feedback loop. Here's how the loop goes. The New York Times claims social media is biased against conservatives. Then social media, in obeisance to the New York Times, says, okay, we're going to downgrade social conservatives. Then conservatives say, you're downgrading us. Then the media say, look at these paranoid conservatives saying that they're being downgraded. How dare they? How dare they? And then they say, look at these right-wing sites. They, you know, you can tell they're bad. You can super tell they're bad because they keep repeating each other's messages. It's this whole loop. It's this whole circular logic bullcrap. So let's break it down for just a second. There are these charts that go around. 
generally from places like Newswhip, showing the kind of engagement that various sites get. Okay, so the top 10 web publishers on Facebook for the last month, for example, it showed Daily Wire at the top. I think this was for August. It showed that we had 1,000 articles and then we had 78 million Facebook engagements. So our per article engagement was really high. The reason it was really high is because our people write fantastic headlines and because there is not a lot of great conservative content out there. The number of conservative sites, as we'll see, is actually pretty low. You'll see the Breitbart is number six on this list. Fox News is number two and Daily Mail is number three. But you'll notice that many of the other sites on this list are left-wing. CNN, NBC News, New York Times, NPR, The Hill. Okay, so why is it that conservatives are getting that sort of of engagement? The reason is because there are fewer right-wing publishers than there are left-wing publishers. In the top 25 publishers on Facebook, 16 are of the left, nine are of the right. Well, if there are 50% of people who want conservative content and 50% of people who want left-wing content, then those aren't going to split evenly. Right? If you have more left-wing outlets than right-wing, than right-wing outlets, what you are likely to see is that the left-wing outlets each get less engagement than the right-wing outlets, but overall get more engagement, which, of course, is precisely what you see. Of the total engagement, 70, 784 million engagements, total engagements in the top 25, left-wing outlets received 409 million engagements, right-wing outlets received 376 million engagements. So actually, the left got more engagement than the right did on Facebook. Okay, as far as total likes, which is a better measure, total likes, for the top 25 news outlets, 68.4% were for the left. They have nearly two-thirds of the total likes. So while the New York Times is about how outlets like mine are getting engagement on Facebook, many of these outlets have more total likes than anything remotely like what we've got. It just happens to be that we write good headlines and there's an undersupply of conservative content, which means that we are over-trafficked, proportionately speaking. But this is how all of this works. All of this is an attempt by the left to suppress narratives they do not like, and they will use any cudgel at their disposal, and they do control the controlling heights of the culture. This is why you end up with pieces at the New York Times today, right? Again, this is that that not-so-subtle pressure tactic. Quote, conservative news sites fuel voter fraud misinformation. Breitbart, the Washington Examiner, and others amplify false claims of rampant cheating in what a new Harvard study calls a propaganda feedback loop. They keep going back to this Harvard this this sort of uh, Harvard institution that uh, is constantly writing about how evil right-wing sites are. The Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society, these are the same people who suggested that right-wing YouTube directs people over to the alt-right, which is crap. It's not true. Okay, many of us have overtly taken on the alt-right and hit and gotten the slings and arrows for it. Doesn't matter. Again, the idea here is that if conservative sites repeat information about possible voter fraud, they're bad. But if left-wing sites talk about how Donald Trump is going to steal the election outright or remain in the White House forever, and they repeat that same talking point, that's not a feedback loop at all. If you want to know, by the way, how these narratives get created, all you have to do is look at how the narratives get created around people like Sasha Baron Cohen. So Baron Cohen, right, the, the Borat guy, he somehow turned himself into this sort of cultural icon with regard to politics, as though he knows what the hell he's talking about. He does not. So again, here is that that subtle pressure, not so subtle pressure, coming from the social left. Here is Sasha Baron Cohen. This is back in December, suggesting that Facebook is bad because Facebook allows material Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't like. So it's just like if they allowed material from Hitler. Of course, Facebook does have policies to crack down on neo-Nazi material, but that doesn't matter to Sasha Baron Cohen because he's a damned liar. So here he was going after Facebook for having the temerity to allow right-wing content. If you pay them, Facebook will run any political ad you want, even if it's a lie. And they'll even help you micro-target those lies to their users for maximum effect. Under this twisted logic, if Facebook were around in the 1930s, it would have allowed Hitler to post 30-second ads on his solution to the Jewish problem. The broader point here is that Sasha Baron Cohen is treating everything on the right as though it is Hitlerian. So not only is he historically ignorant, he also happens to be a censor himself. He loves censorship. Over the weekend, Sasha Baron Cohen got mad because it turns out he wrote a piece for, I believe it was Newsweek magazine, in which they put a picture up of a a person wearing a mask said COVID-19 is a fraud. And the algorithm at at Facebook prevented the dissemination of the article because they said it was propaganda. The article, of course, was about how that was dumb. And he got mad. He said censorship is bad. Oh, I'm glad to learn that Sasha Baron Baron Cohen thinks that uh, censorship is bad now. That's it. That's very, very exciting stuff. So censorship is bad. So long as it is applied to Sasha Baron Cohen, it's very good when it is applied to anyone else. By the way, quick note, quick final note about Sasha Baron Cohen. There's a piece in The Independent today talking about how Sasha Baron Cohen has avoided being canceled. It is called 
Borat 2, Sasha Baron Cohen survived cancel culture by evolving instead of moaning. Okay, well, what exactly did he evolve to? He evolved to the left. That's all that happened. He came out as an open leftist. He started targeting commonplace, quote unquote, vulgar right-wing Americans. And the media decided not to cancel him. So that's the wonderful thing about cancel culture. You don't get canceled. You don't get canceled if you are a part of it. Which is why, honestly, points to Sarah Silverman. Never thought that would be a phrase I would say. Over the weekend, Sarah Silverman, uh, she suggested that cancel culture is righteousness porn. She is 100% about this. Without a path to redemption, when you take someone, you found a tweet they wrote seven years ago or a thing that they said, and you expose it and you say, this person should be no more, banish them forever. They're going to find some place where they are accepted. Do we want people to be changed? Or do we want them to stay the same, to freeze in a moment we found on the internet from 12 years ago? And so we can point to ourselves as right and them as wrong. Okay, the answer it's is- Righteousness porn. She is right. She's I can't believe this. She's exactly right about all of this. But it's not just that they're freezing it in place. They're changing the standard every day so they can freeze you in place and so that you have to obey them. And they're preventing the dissemination of material they don't like in order to elevate their favorite candidates. And that's where we currently stand. That's the battle. And it's going to be a battle long beyond this election. It's going to be a battle for this entire generation. This is the battle to come. Okay, whether Trump gets reelected or whether Biden gets elected is irrelevant to this battle. The media, our cultural betters, they have declared that you should not have access to informa information you like, that if you disagree with them, you are evil and you should be, and you should be suppressed, and that all of the methodologies of technology, corporate America, social media should be used against you. This is what they have decided. And that is a battle that is much bigger than who gets to decide the next tax rates on the top bracket in the United States. All righty, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we will see you here tomorrow. I believe I have an all-access live tonight, actually. So go subscribe over at dailywire.com. You can hang out with me tonight. As you know, the rules are t-shirts and questions and bizarre behavior. So go check that out tonight at dailywire.com. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Who is funding the Joe Biden campaign? Rich white people. That's who. And they're here to tell you what to think if you want to be poor and black. We'll take a look at the madness on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.